The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Going to start things off this afternoon, though, with this. COVID means a, a different Christmas for all of us again, uh, you know, this year. from For some members of the Canadian military, it means once again uh, being away from home. This time, many have been deployed uh, to at least six isolated and remote Indigenous communities in Ontario, in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. With the details this afternoon, we're joined by Brigadier General Bill Fletcher, the Commander of 3rd Canadian Division, which covers the area from Thunder Bay to Vancouver Island. General Fletcher, welcome to the show. Jalen, thank you very much for having me. It's nice. Thanks for making the time. I, I, I sure, uh, I sure appreciate it. I know you have a busy schedule. Give us an idea. I just want to go back a, a little bit. When COVID appeared, what uh, almost a year ago now? How did the Army of the West prepare? What was, what was planned? What was prioritized? You know, when it first kind of when those flags were were waved. Um, how did you start um, mobilizing and, and planning for? God only knows what. To be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, the, the military, one thing we're really good at is planning. So, uh, you know, when, when there's nothing else going on, we'll find something to plan for. So, you know, I, I think there's some credit due to uh, the folks who came well before me. Uh, who actually, you know, put some effort into thinking through what a Canadian Armed Forces response to a pandemic would look like. Um, you know, in this particular instance, um, our first priority was was taking care of our soldiers and their families and, and protecting what we call protecting the force. Uh, so really preserving our ability to be ready on behalf of Canadians for whatever contingency may come down. Um, that quickly transitioned into what we called Operation Laser Part 1 and, and uh, was principally the activation of a number of our Army Reserves, uh, our Reg Force uh, regular full-time soldiers and our Canadian Rangers on a footing to be able to respond to to whatever eventuality came down the pipe. In Western Canada, you know, that that ended up not being required. Ontario and Quebec, obviously, some of the long-term care facilities required assistance and very proud of, uh, you know, the the soldiers that went into those areas and made a difference. But that's that's really what it was. I think we were, uh, it was a journey of discovery for us, much like it was for everybody, but our, our real focus was making sure that we were ready to respond uh, to any eventuality. I want to just backtrack a little bit to one of the the first things that that you had said. You said uh, talking about um, you know making plans for this. You talked about taking care of uh, family members and talking taking care of uh, of our soldiers. I'm curious to know what was put in place, what was done to protect uh, against the spread of COVID. Uh, you know, in in the army and among among family members, what was done? And I'm also curious to know about the number of COVID cases. Um, if you can talk about that um, among troops but how how was that handled yeah so, so firstly i cannot talk about number of covid cases um it's just an operational security reason we don't release the numbers um you know but in terms of what we did um I think, you know, probably the most important thing was reinforcing amongst our soldiers the importance of, of those personal uh, health protection measures, right? Um, mm-hmm. Social distancing, washing your hands, good hygiene, um, you know, wearing masks. Um, so we certainly reinforced that. And, and frankly, we took our cue, uh, by and large, off direction that came uh, across federally and provincially uh, from, uh, you know, public health at, at provincial and federal levels. We ceased a lot of training, um, so we scaled back anything that we didn't consider mission essential. 
Um, so anything that, that wasn't going to have, you know, a long-term uh, market impact on our ability to be ready to respond, uh, we, we stopped doing uh, just to minimize the, the chance contact between soldiers. From a family perspective, um, you know, we sent a bunch of soldiers home and we, uh, we actually had to figure out how to communicate then with soldiers, how to communicate with their families in this, you know, very difficult circumstance. We're used to, as an army, being able to look folks in the eye. Uh, and get the ground truth uh, in terms of, you know, that that no kidding personal interaction, you know, all the nonverbal cues that come along with that. Probably like, you know, business writ large, I would assume, uh, we had to figure out how we could uh, keep in touch with our soldiers, you know, determine uh, who was doing well, uh, who might need some help. Um, and so we, uh, as, a, as a military, I would say as an army in particular, made great strides in our ability to work uh, distributed. Uh, and that was both from, you know, an operational output perspective, but I, I think more importantly from the ability to stay connected with our soldiers. Uh, and then we slowly, you know, started uh, bringing folks back in and, and ramping up our training uh, tempo through the fall time frame uh, such that uh, you know we're, we're prepared um, for our contingencies you know the, the division has a lot on the go we had soldiers deployed through the first half of the year um, you know so they had to figure out how to, to carry on with their deployed mission set obviously a global pandemic not just a problem for Canada uh, we had to bring them home reintegrate them and then we are actually looking at high readiness tasks on behalf of Canada into next year as well which requires some pretty significant training so a lot of balls in the air to juggle. Yeah, without a doubt. Brigadier General Bill Fletcher joining me this afternoon. He's the commander of 3rd Canadian Division. You touched on, um, you know, cutting back or, you know, putting a pause on uh, non-emission essential training. And and as you mentioned, you're gearing back up into high readiness into, into next year. So how do you how do you balance that? How do you how do you balance getting back and maybe starting back up some of those exercises, making sure that our troops are where they need to be, given the fact that you know this isn't over yet so you know if you put it up on pause earlier what do you need to do let's say you know months from now when you head back out to Wainwright or wherever it is to um, to to continue to, or to bring that training back up to where it needs to be yeah, you know, so, so we've actually uh, had a number of exercises in Wainwright throughout the fall time frame uh, and uh, you know I, th- I think a lot of it is just about you know, um, quantifying the level of risk that you're accepting by bringing soldiers together and, and then doing what you can to mitigate it, right? And that, that's easy to say and a lot harder to do. Um, so really, it was about bringing the uh, the team of experts together that, that you know, are resident in the Army. So our healthcare professionals, um, you know, our, our, our operational planners, um, our, our logisticians, in order to be able to, to describe how we would uh, accomplish the same aims in terms of our training objectives, but do it differently. So we certainly did leverage uh, some you know, uh, self-isolation, some quarantine before and after. Uh, mm-hmm. We altered um, our resupply footprint uh, so that we leveraged we had fewer contacts w- with the public. Uh, and we tried mm-hmm. to do everything internally to minimize, uh, frankly, you know, the danger of us bringing COVID into a, into a community like Wainwright, as an example. Um, so it was really sort of variations on, on a theme that the training was the training. 
And once you've got troops who are together, you know, in the field, uh, it's probably the safest place to be uh, in terms of a pandemic after after your two week uh, two week period goes by. So, you know, we were less concerned about that. It was really about those touch points. How do we do the resupply? How do we, uh, you know, medically um, evacuate and isolate folks if it came to that? And and that's where our expert advice uh, came in, because the last last point I'd make on this is as much as it's important to protect the force, we're also worried about protecting our families and our communities. Right. I mean, we're to be a force for, for good uh, and if we become a vector for infection to our communities then i think we failed you know the country without a doubt all right brigadier general fletcher um i am curious to know um the the process how did this happen that our troops have now been deployed uh, north we've been you know it's one of the reasons the main reason that i wanted to talk to you about uh we know that we have we have soldiers now in at least six isolated and, and remote indigenous communities what does that look like as far as that that call for help and then the 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 process to get these folks there and what are they doing when they're there a lot of questions in one in one (laughs) i'm asking a lot in one question there uh bill but i'm hoping that you can you can explain uh the whole process i I can certainly try um you know i I think you know first off most people probably when they think of the army think of of you know us us heading out uh, especially over over you know uh, holiday periods being away from families You, you tend to think of it as as being overseas somewhere Um, you know but but we take a tremendous amount of pride you know is being ready to do whatever's needed here in Canada and I think this is a you know a tremendous example of of the preparedness the the amount of effort we put into it but also the dedication and flexibility of our soldiers so we um, you know as you mentioned uh, as you opened as third Canadian division from the Canadian army perspective, all army troops from Thunder Bay out to the Island fall under, under my command on behalf of the commander of Canadian army. But from a, what we call it a, a domestic operations perspective, um, I wear a second hat called joint task force West and that's Alberta, um, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. So we have um, tremendous, tremendous relationships with, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Frank, the politicians, but, uh, you know, I think more importantly is the, uh, the public servants, the emergency management organizations across those three provinces. We have liaison officers permanently embedded in them, uh, and we, we do regular touch points, even going so far as doing training on, a, on an annual basis. So we've got great relationships up front, and that investment, I think, is important uh, as we start horizon scanning is what i call it but really it's about uh you know maintaining an awareness of where we might be needed traditionally that's always been floods and fires yeah. um you know and that uh that that requires strong backs um really you know it, it's it's about soldiers you know being able to sustain them but uh, getting them to do, do heavy lifting uh, on behalf of, of uh, our provincial partners in this instance you know we reverse engineered it a bit so as we started getting reads that you know, um, COVID uh, in some remote communities was impacting um, the very basic um, factors that, that allow people to live, right? So if you're on a lockdown in a remote community uh, because of COVID, um, what happens, you know, to your resupply if you're a flying community, right, and you can't maintain the airport because folks are locked down? What happens when the general store closes? Uh, you know, life is, is, is already uh, difficult, and I think COVID, the situation compounded it significantly for some uh, communities such that uh, they felt the need to ask for help. 
Um, so, um, you know, there's a couple of ways of going about doing that. I won't, you know, get into the details and bore yeah. everybody torturously, but, you know, through that, certainly the, the, the province is, is interested, especially, you know, so First Nations communities have a link federally, um, straight to the federal level, um, but the provinces are obviously uh, invested in the welfare of their citizens, um, so they will certainly bring uh, capacity to bear when they're able to, um, but when we look at the current situation with, you know, the, the numbers as they have been across Western Canada, um, there wasn't a lot of spare capacity, right? Because um, mm-hmm. all the, the experts were busy, and in particular, the, the medical professionals uh, and our first responders. So the, 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 the military became an option. And, and we're not a long-term solution to problems, but we are certainly, uh, I think, a force with the ability to rapidly and very quickly project into remote locations and, 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 and fill a gap right, until, uh, until the situation is either resolved or additional capacity is brought to bear. So in this instance, uh, it started from our perspective looking appropriate at, at Joint Task Force West with, um, uh, you know, Manitoba uh, in a long-term care facility. Um, and then, and now we find ourselves in uh, Shimadawa and uh, uh, Red Sucker Lake up in northern Manitoba as well. Uh, and we've actually surged um, principally um, general duty soldiers. So what I would combat troops, right, infantry soldiers, uh, you know, tank drivers, all those folks uh, who are supporting our, our medical professionals um, who are really leading the way in terms of the provision of support. Um, so when you ask about what they're doing, it's, it's a number of issues in both communities right now. We've set up alternate isolation facilities uh, using local infrastructure schools principally, and that uh, provides a venue for folks who, who need to be isolated, whether they're COVID positive or, in point of fact, in, in a multi-generational home, someone who may need to be isolated because they're COVID negative and need to be protected. Uh, so those have been set up and we're assisting with running those. Uh, we're doing uh, door-to-door delivery of goods, uh, water, groceries, um, you know, mail, because uh, this then allows people to actually respect the lockdown and continue to live and thrive. Uh, otherwise, uh, folks would have to be maneuvering around the, the communities and, and obviously that, that increases the risk and the spread. And then the last piece we're doing is assisting uh, other partners, uh, Indigenous Services Canada, Canadian Red Cross, as, as two critical examples. But most importantly, uh, community leadership, um, right? So a, a First Nations chief, band council, uh, community councils, um, with their planning uh, and their emergency management, uh, the, sort of the command and control is the term we use of, of the response uh, across the community. So uh, people are, folks are very busy. What I will say is I spoke uh, last night, actually, to our commanders on the ground in both our communities, Shimadawa, Red Sucker Lake. Uh, morale is extremely high amongst our soldiers, uh, notwithstanding the fact they're going to be spending Christmas there. Uh, they've been received with open arms, uh, and they feel like they're making a difference. And, uh, you know, I think that's all about any soldier can ask. So yeah. um, I know there's a lot of questions. I hopefully answered some of them in terms of that. I tried to... <laughs> General Fletcher, all good. Uh, that no, that was that was fantastic. I was wondering if there was any need for any specialized training going into these communities. Yeah, it's a great question. There, there absolutely is. So we have. Um, you know, I, I think the baseline um, that, that we do is, um, you know, those, those personal health protection measures, right? So it's, it's reinforcing to our soldiers the importance of, uh, you know, washing your hands, of social distancing, of, of proper uh, personal protective equipment usage. Um, but we also have. Essentially, it's it's four tiers or four levels of training. Uh, at the upper end, you know, it, it's um, uh, really aimed at uh, whether it's a, you know a doctor, nurse, or one of our medics who's going to be in a COVID 
positive environment, uh, whether that's an isolation ward or a long-term care facility. And then it's scaled down to, uh, you know, a general duty. So, you know, a, an infantry soldier like myself who's going to be in a supporting role. Um, so certainly risk based on, on the location, but not, you know, in a, in a uh, an isolated COVID positive environment. So all of our soldiers who deploy have that. Um, they've all got, uh, you know, their current medical um, um I guess, uh, clearances up to date. So that's immunization, immunizations and the whole nine yards across the board uh, before they can actually deploy. And the other piece we do have is is some uh, Indigenous awareness uh, training that we, we do. And, and uh, not everyone will have that just based on, on the rapidity with which we had to, uh, to deploy. Uh, but we do our best to sensitize some soldiers who have never been to a remote community or have never really had to deal with, uh, you know, an Indigenous community. And, and that's very helpful. Uh, we certainly leverage our Indigenous soldiers to that end as well, uh, and they are a tremendous, tremendous resource for us. General Fletcher, I've, I've already kept you much longer than I that I promised you I would, but one more question before I let you go, if you sure. don't mind, and I'm just wondering, um, and, and I asked you this actually not too long ago at, a, at another news, at, a, at a, an availability that I had with you, and it was about, about the possibility of the military helping the province of Alberta, and, and I'm wondering... Um, um, you know, when it comes to COVID-19 response, and, I, and I'm wondering what that looks like right now. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I can't speak to the specifics, uh, but but certainly from our perspective, uh, again, it's really about being postured to be ready, um, whether that's to something that's foreseen. Ideally, we get an indicator and a warning, right, and, and we can prepare for it or, or say it's reactionary and, and we just uh, we just deploy and get on, on with life, on with business. Um, in this instance, you know, Alberta um, is actually, again, I know most of the folks in the emergency management, a lot of them are ex-military, so we have a tremendous, yeah. tremendous relationship, yeah, as you know. We have a tremendous relationship with them, uh, so our, our lines of communication are absolutely open. Um, certainly as it stands now, um, I think that they've got a very mature concept in terms of the response and then the forward planning, and, and they do not foresee a need for military involvement. Uh, but I have no doubt um, that if it came to it and then they, they did you know, think they would need us, that we would absolutely be called and be ready to respond. General Fletcher, I want to thank you for taking the time this afternoon and uh, want to wish uh, you and uh, and your family uh, the best this Christmas and certainly from all of us here at 630 Chad. Thanks for uh, doing what you do and uh, the soldiers on the ground for doing what they do uh, for, for us as Albertans, as Canadians, every day, every minute of the day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm very proud of our soldiers and uh, we'll certainly pass that on to them. Merry Christmas. Yeah, you too. Brigadier General Bill Fletcher joining us this afternoon, the commander of 3rd Canadian Division. As he mentioned, that uh, that covers uh, Thunder Bay all the way out uh, to the island. It's a big stretch of uh, area for him to be uh, commander of. But interesting to hear about our, our soldiers, the work that they are doing.